For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a conversation with Peter Chan, president of the Tucson Chinese Association. How an online exhibition is giving LGBTQ youth a chance to share their perspectives. And parents of color explain why it's important to have a special talk with their kids, especially sons, about navigating race and racism. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Since the pandemic began in early 2020, statistics indicate that hate crimes against people of Asian descent have increased by as much as 150 percent in some major U.S. cities. To find out about the local situation, I talked with Peter Chan, the president of the Tucson Chinese Association, which is the governing body of the Tucson Chinese Cultural Center. I have been discussing with my board members on the urgency of not only protecting the health and safety of everybody in the community, not just the Chinese community, the Asian community, but everybody. But I also urge all the uh, members of the Chinese Cultural Center to be more vigilant in personal safety and also report any incidents or any episode that they see that might pose any danger. But we are very fortunate that we have not seen or we have not heard any incidents that took place. But that doesn't mean that it didn't happen because a lot of the cultural teachings might have prevented some of the, even the slightest incident to be reported. Because, you know, you might hear uh, a elderly generation says, I don't, you know, cause any problem. It's only a small thing. You know, somebody call you names. You shouldn't be alarmed. Just walk away and, you know, don't make any scene. Mm-hmm. So that that is a uh, pretty common practice for the older generation versus some of the younger generation, even my, my children who are, you know, late teens, they might stand up for themselves and say, hey, you cannot call me names and you shouldn't be calling people names and stand up for themselves or their friends. There'll be different reactions from different generations, to put it simply. Well, that's a really interesting point you make there, because it seems like the Cultural Center provides a nexus, a place for these generations to meet. Do you think that today's younger, more technologically uh, in-tune generation is helping an older generation to weather this current storm of racism? It is, because I think the older generations uh, are getting more isolated because of the pandemic, because of health and safety reasons. So they're isolated. They cannot even see their children or their grandchildren. So a lot of the younger generations are helping their grandparents to get on the phone, get on FaceTime, get on Zoom, how to use the technology to stay in touch. And I think it created a unintentional benefit from this pandemic that people who were distance before now are all connected by technology. Can you share something positive that you've seen or been a part of in the last week since the murders in Atlanta have become national news? I think the positive side of it is every time when there is a tragedy like that happened, the whole community become more sensitive and caring. We are seeing a lot of these tragedies happening, you know, whether involved in specific ethnic groups. And I really think there's a lot of reasons behind it is probably the lack of mental health care 
you know, because sometimes you really don't know if these are just done because of personal hatred or because that person has some mental health care issues, which we know in this country is not really being dealt with, you know, adequately. That makes me want to ask you if the Chinese Cultural Center is involved in caring for the mental health of our Asian population here in Southern Arizona. The center has been a resource and also intermediary to help with anyone who would call for the health issues. A lot of people that we serve are the elderly community and then our children who are, you know, K through 12 in our Chinese school. The readiness to deal with the mental health care issues in the Asian community has always been a challenge as well because I recently talked with one of my friends in the uh, counseling and mental health care uh, field stated that, number one, there is not enough counselors and provider to deal with all the uh, people who mm-hmm. needed to be treated. Number two, and because of a cultural stigma, if you or one of your family member have mental health, mental health care issues, you tend to downplay it, hide it, or not even want to mention it. Being Asian, you just don't want to tell people, oh, yeah, my you know, son has you know, emotional issues, or they're not going to be very forthcoming, even if it's within the same family. Or sometimes this is how things turn even worse when the person himself or herself would not even tell their own parents. They hold it in themselves, so they're not seeking treatment. So when you're not seeking treatment, how can you be better? If the people around you are not spotting the problem, they cannot help you. My guest, Peter Chan, is the president of the Tucson Chinese Association. On the surface, the art in the online exhibition, Mapping Q, is easy to take in. Bright colors, imaginative designs, and reflections on day-to-day life. But look closely, and more complex messages about the meaning of identity, both from inside and outside, begin to emerge. Since 2016, the University of Arizona Museum of Art, with community partner the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation, has sponsored Mapping Q. This year, they're joined by the Phoenix-based group One in Ten, which broadened the range of LGBTQ plus youth who got involved. During a year of online meetings and workshops, these artists encouraged each other to create art that speaks their truth. Chelsea Farrar is the UAMA Curator of Community Engagement and has been part of Mapping Q since the beginning. Mapping Q originally was intended to um, map spaces in the context of thinking through the formal educational spaces that teens and youth experience and specifically those teens that don't fit into the kind of heteronormative uh, cisgendered male-female experience. But once you get it in the hands of youth, it has grown and expanded uh, each year. So now we're mapping those cultural public spaces, uh, the spaces that we walk through every day, down the streets, to the mall, online spaces, and how each of us feel like we fit in or don't fit in, and then trying to map future paths so that we can feel like we fit in and we can make space for others that are coming after us. Arizona as a state has a lot of non-urban places, a lot of towns and uh, little municipalities. 
I wonder what Mapping Q is able to do in terms of reaching out to these areas and communicating with queer youth who don't live in the big cities to find out what they're experiencing. Yeah, I mean, that was something that was really new for us this year is going beyond Tucson and even beyond Phoenix. Youth in these rural communities that normally could never access these kinds of services. One of the plus sides of going virtual is that they could take advantage of more programs at each of those sites at SAFE and 1 in 10. Um, one of the youth who came almost every week was out to their parents, out to most people in their circle, but their manner of expression and manner of just naturally being in the world was still not accepted and celebrated. Mm. And in these little miniature times of meeting and mapping queue, they could be exactly, truly who they are, 100%. And have other youth and other adults, positive adults, accept them 100% and 100% of the time. That's huge. I mean, in, in many ways, that's, that's life-saving. Mapping Q is more than just an exhibition. It's also you know, a, a program and time spent together. I'd like you to cite something that you took away from this year's Mapping Q that is unique and something that you're going to hold in your heart. I am and visitors are constantly in awe of the power of youth and their way of responding to the world that is often unjust. They respond in ways that are striking, intelligent, and and often provide hope. And I think that that is consistently something that we dismiss youth as being able to have those ways of being in the world, that sense of emotional and intellectual intelligence the phrase that comes to mind is we really need to remember to shut up and listen because they have some really incredible things to say. And so I, I, I really invite people to come to the website and spend some time looking at each and every artist and reading everything they have to say. That was Chelsea Farrar from the University of Arizona Museum of Art. Next, Arizona Spotlight's Yasmin Acosta will introduce us to two participants who have work featured in Mapping Q. The first artist I spoke with was 23-year-old Mercedes, who grew up in Eloy, Arizona. Mercedes identifies as double-spirited. To them, that means they have always felt more like a boy than a girl. Mapping Q presents a unique opportunity for Mercedes to express who they are through art. I'm Latina, and I'm double-spirited. And, you know, I'm living in poverty, and I'm homeless. And I was also born as a woman. So how I identify at work is new, and it's also new for them. So it's very uncomfortable. And I actually was in a training with my coworkers the other day where they, they spoke on it being an inconvenience. And that's me. I'm the inconvenience. And I don't think that I would be able to walk into work with my head held so high if I wouldn't have been introduced to the LGBTQ plus community in Tucson. I'm not from any kind of city. I'm, I'm a desert kid by nature. I'm from a very rural town. Um, I'm from Eloy, Arizona. There wasn't any support groups like that. It's been encouraging and it's been comfort pushing. And I've always been someone to express myself and um, be really uh, like rejected for speaking on things that weren't quote unquote like normal. Suddenly I'm surrounded by people who are willing to challenge themselves and each other as well together. And in this very isolated time, it was really cool. Do you feel that there was a lot of oppression before? And 
somehow the Mapping Q exhibition was a way of supporting who you are? Oh, definitely. Hell yeah. Like, that is a very eloquent way of putting it. Thank you. I don't think that all the problems suddenly disappeared because I have support. I just think that it definitely helped me in moments where it was hard to move my feet forward. (laughs) There's different policies that certain groups are trying to pass, trying to prevent transsexual and transgendered queer people from getting housing or being able to enter shelters, forcing them to choose, you know, a sexual identity that, that is not them by nature. It's, it's not true to who they are in their hearts and in their minds and in the depths of, of their, their knowing soul. And uh, that's unfair because we face a lot of violence in, in an already trying time. This violence isn't new, but it's, it's hyper-existent today. Can you describe your artwork? Well, my artwork looks like me right now, eyebrowless, a green being, standing stoic, looking towards the future, crowned with white petals, just like um, the rest of the flowers around my character. I painted them green because I'm a desert kid, and I've always resonated with the cacti I live around. Because of their defense mechanisms, and their nourishing tendencies, and the stigmatization of those plants. They're always um, receiving anger for being different and for defending themselves. I definitely feel like that's my spirit plant. I named it Inherited Fire to speak on the ignited passion that we must fight for as warriors surviving the experience of life itself and earthly trials on a spiritual plane. There is much inherited trauma within each person is what I believe. And it's through that, that we will be made and broken and made again um, from generation to generation. And this is how I experience this life. I think that the flame that I call inherited fire comes from my mother, Maria, and her mother, Maria, and so on. Another artist I spoke with was Jay, a 17-year-old who is a returning member of Mapping Q. This is his third year in the annual program, where Jay says he has found friendship and even tried some artistic collaboration. One of the ones that I've actually been kind of planning for Mapping Q, because I've been in Mapping Q for a few years, it was a picture of my sort of painting kit that I have, and it's gotten old and used over the days of painting, and I called that piece uh, a testament to creation, because I look at this little painting kit, it's mismatched uh, colorings of of dried up paint on it, and it just makes me, like, I guess, sentimental for painting. It was one I wanted to do since forever, even though it's kind of a bit more abstract than ones I usually do. How do you feel that you found inspiration for Testament to Creation? Most of my art pieces that I have submitted to Map and Q were acrylic paintings. And I've had this uh, paint kit for like so long. And every time I look at it, it just it just gives me a bit of, of happiness. Because paint, it's either always very neat or very messy. Uh, and just to have this little like, this little container of art, it's all this use and all these like 
random colors that have dried on the tin. It just has so much character and memories in it. And I wanted to share that. Do you feel like one of your other pieces is a good example of what this kit was able to create? Definitely another piece I submitted. It's also uh, an acrylic painting. It was myself looking in the mirror and seeing this shadow monster and all these like scratching writing of insults that that like the dark part of me uh tells myself it has like words like uh girly coward wimp lazy and it's what i see in the mirror but it's just a reflection it's nothing it's nothing physical it's just words it's not real why do you think that you internalize those words I guess I have a bit of imposter syndrome, and it's not words that I've been told myself. Quite the opposite. It's words I tell myself. Whenever I try to be perceived as more feminine, I'm girly. Whenever I don't want to talk to the cashier or ask for help on something simple, I'm a wimp. And when I don't want to do work, I'm lazy. It's stuff that I've internalized, and I'm honestly not sure why I believe them and think them, but it's something I'm dealing with. Uh, Even if I don't know why it's happening, I'm still going to figure out how to deal with it. Jay had three of his works included in the exhibition. He concluded his interview with a message to our listeners. I love everyone who is listening, uh, everyone who could possibly hear my words. Uh, I love you, uh, and I hope you have the greatest of all days. The University of Arizona Museum of Art presents Mapping Q online through May 2nd. This is Yasmin Acosta for Arizona Spotlight. What comes to mind when you hear about parents sitting their children down to have the talk? Well, that answer might be different when you consider African-American families. Next, you'll hear some parents discuss the need to prepare their kids for something that could one day mean life or death. This story was produced by Nina Shelton. The talk to me is the conversation that we have with our boys, particularly black boys, about how to have an interactions with the police. They are to understand that the police aren't necessarily there to protect and serve them, but perhaps they're to uh, profile them, perhaps they're to um, just make judgments about what they may be doing, even if they're not doing anything. Further explaining, you know, how it's important for them to just get home with us. And so we want them to understand how they should behave and understand that um, it's a pervasive issue uh, in our society today that it's quite possible that that interaction could go very wrong. Uh, It also uh, includes instructions as to what you should do when you're stopped. Put your hands on on the steering wheel. Uh, make sure the lights are on. Don't do anything without police uh, permission. Ask before you get your registration. Ask for a supervisor if you feel like things are starting to escalate. 
there is a line of questioning that goes too far. If they feel uncomfortable with those questions, they need to say, you know what? I want to speak. I want my parents to be in the room. It's part of driving. It's just part of, you know, driving while black. And you just, again, it's literally like you, just how you explain how to parallel park, you explain this is what happens when you get stopped. To have to have that talk with my sons makes me feel, it saddens me. I feel like it's unfair that we have to live like these totally different lives, even though everyone wants to say all lives matter and we're all human beings. Clearly, there are differences. And so it is, it feels like it's very unfair that I have to have these conversations with my boys so that they can, so that they can live and survive. People are viewed completely different when their color is not uh, uh, white, unfortunately. Uh, I, I tend to think uh, that I have tremendous white privilege being a Latino of lighter skin that I don't have to um, worry about getting pulled over. However, when I was younger, running with kids who were all brown or black, we, we had that fear. Our kids have come up during a generation where you see bumper stickers that say question everything. And that's the philosophy and, and it seems to be the climate of the day where uh, people challenge everything and question everything. Well, that's okay for other people. But it's not okay for black people. You don't question and challenge the police officers like everybody else can. My boys will be, first and foremost, seen as um, either a, a threat or a potential threat first before anything else. Just growing up in California, uh, in Los Angeles area. I have been stopped with another black male in the car, um, stopped um, driving perfectly normally, um, asked to sit on the side of the road, have my car stripped, um, and just looking for drugs and things that obviously weren't there, but um, it's been a real experience for me. So that talk is necessary and because I know from personal experience that this is what happens. In Oakland, the police, they were very much prevalent pretty much in every neighborhood. And the interactions I would witness were never positive. It wasn't where I would see a police officer um, coming to engage you know, us as kids just to be friendly. It was always aggression. It frustrated me. It frustrated me because I understood that I was being stopped because I was black and I was in that area. Uh, you know, I, I knew what the game was. I knew it, but of course I, I did what I was taught to do. I was respectful and answered the questions and, and uh, I didn't smart off to the police officers, but, uh, and, and it's also frightening. Uh, let me add that, you know, the, we're told that police officers do things because they're afraid. I don't know if they understand that we're, we're afraid too, uh, because we understand what can happen. That fear still lives within me, even though I'm 43 years old, educated, have my own family, it's still within me. Please, 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 again, please, please, man. What I think about the George Floyd incident was surprisingly how much, how much denial that 
that we live in in America. With the death of uh, George Floyd, we we definitely revisited the conversations and on how to interact with the police. It was like, here we go again. And you guys, we, we really have to be careful. And, and it really made me see that it could happen at any time to anyone. One of the things that we said to our children is that um, this isn't the first time. This is an issue that consistently um, comes to the forefront in our society. And it's important that they are aware and that George Floyd is them. They could be George Floyd. And the truth is, is that until we are, until we're ready to admit that there is a problem, we will never fix that problem. I mean, we've seen all of these, these uh, marquee uh, uh, progress, but we're still doing the same thing as black people that our great, great, great grandparents did. We're still telling them, uh, say yes, sir, and no, sir, when you encounter a cop, just like our ancestors said, say yes, sir, massa, say no, sir, massa. I mean, we have pro not progressed beyond having to do special things to survive as a people. And that's something we need to understand in both black and white society, that black people are still in danger, just like our ancestors were in danger. So it, it kind of breaks my heart to know that He's just going to be judged um, regardless of how good he behaves. I think on some level, he even knows that. Um, and there's nothing that I can, can do about that. Not now and, and not as he gets, grows into you know, adulthood. So um, it just, it saddens me. Um, some of the things I tell, tell my sons just to, just to stay uplifted and to, and to be positive is to know um, when you come home, you are safe and you are loved. So I want them to know that, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but the world still is open for them. They could achieve whatever they want to achieve. Yeah. We just have to make sure that they navigate this world safely and smart. The environment between the police and the community here in Arizona and Tucson, Arizona, is the best that I've experienced. I've been stopped in the car with my, with my husband and the interactions have always been positive. We, I've just never had a negative experience. So I just don't have any reason to believe here um, that there would be an issue. I've interacted with the police department intimately. Uh, I'm a part of the, uh, the chief's community advisory board. I, I feel the support of even moms in my community asking me, what can I do? How do you think we can work towards change? They're actually verbalizing that to me. And that makes, that makes me so happy. That gives me so much hope. In order, we just heard from parents Kiani Adams, Ariana Scholes Douglas and Errol Douglas, Naomi and Marlon Guerrero, and Benny Baker. The talk was produced by Nina Shelton for Arizona Illustrated on PBS6. You can watch it now on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Yasmin Acosta. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.